It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me today, we have a, a guy whose byline all baseball fans definitely know, Anthony McCarron. How you doing, Anthony? I'm good, John. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for asking. It's uh, it's really a pleasure to talk to you. You know, it, it, we're, we're, we're kind of hitting that time right now where... It's May. The weather's getting nicer. We're starting to feel a little bit more baseball-like, maybe. We're starting to see more fans coming through the stadium as some of these capacity restrictions come down. And I don't think that's why, necessarily, the Yankees are playing better. But all of it kind of, I think, adds up to uh, improve the mood around the Bronx, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, something that uh, really has helped is that uh, pitching staff has seemingly gelled for them. And, you know, there were a lot of questions about that early on and, and over the winter, you know, with the approach they they took to building the rotation, especially with a couple of guys who had had some injury issues in the past couple of years, Tyone and uh, Corey Kluber. And, uh, you know, then they had some shaky starts at the beginning. And, you know, so, uh, you know, how uh, quickly we wring our hands about Yankee problems, uh, regardless of the small sample size. It just is what it is, you know, but they've gotten on track lately. And obviously the club has played much better. You know, it it absolutely never fails. And I do think that in some ways it's worse this year because we're coming off a 60 game season where every game was a little bit more meaningful. And also we all went a little crazy over the last year. So we, we deserve a little <laughs> bit of a breathing room, but I think I am the person more than almost anyone I know who sits there, whether it's March or April or frankly, June, and just says, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. It's a long <laughs> season. It's a long season. And there was honestly a time there where even I was just like, what if I'm wrong? Though? What if everyone else is right? And what if this team isn't as good as I think it is? But I mean, again, it's 162 games for a reason. It's long. It's enjoyable because we get baseball every night. But also the goal is just let's make these teams go at it against each other for six months every day basically and let's find the best one and you can go crazy you can make yourself crazy if you want to you know you can say the dodgers are 13 and 2 they're going to win 140 games this year why are we even bothering or you can wait two weeks for the dodgers to be under 500 and it's just like it's just the way this happens every year yeah, and you're a better man than than the rest of us if you can even, you know, s- sort of step back a little bit because, I, I mean, look, especially with those starting pitchers, uh, you know, and some of the position players that they were banking on rebounding as well, 
when they start off slow, I mean, you immediately think the worst and you forget about the stretch that, you know, that season is and that everything changes in two weeks because, and you feel better and the, you know, the narratives change, the outlook changes and you can forget all that stuff, uh, you know, when they're striking out 15 times a game and, you know, even the offense isn't, you know, which we all thought was a given that they would just be pounding home runs, pounding home runs. And, and, and you know, if worse came to worse, winning games 11 to eight or, or whatever. And when that's not happening and then the pitching is not great and the bullpen starts to get overworked a little bit, that's when, you know, you start to get the stomach roiling a little bit. Maybe they're through that. I mean, I think there probably are some flaws on the Yankees that'll crop up again during the season and we will grind our teeth over that as well. Um, you know, but overall, I mean, I think they are headed in the right direction and this is more representative of what they are. Clearly. I mean, look, you're going to find flaws on 1998 Yankees. You're going to find flaws on the 1927 <laughs> Yankees. I mean, it's just the way it is. Baseball teams are big. Baseball teams rely on much more than the 26 men who are up at any given time. You know, there's a losing streak. There's well, a winning especially streak. Especially nowadays. Yeah. Of course. Well, yeah. Nowadays, it just stretches, you know, with the 10-day injured list and teams more willing to bring pitchers back and forth. I mean, the you know, the pitching staff is 18, 19 deep on every team, and that's just the way they're going to do it. I mean, in the past, somebody like Michael King would never have sniffed the minors because he he's not giving up any runs or hits, and he's pitching great, and yet he's got to shuttle back and forth because they're looking to have as many arms as possible. And even with an extra man on the roster, now with 26 men he's going back and forth and he's been you know one of the best pitchers in baseball when he's gotten a chance to pitch in the major leagues totally a victim of his own success everyone from brian cashman to aaron boone to mike harkey to frankly mike king will acknowledge that they they get it it's just the way that the game is right now and i'll tell you that here's a little preview for our june issue i have a story in there about the yankees bullpen and I kind of was preparing myself to be writing it this weekend, and I'm sitting there at my computer on Thursday. And, okay, great. This is setting up, you know, Garrett Cole start. You know, it's going to be a, a light day in the bullpen. And then for the first time in God knows how long, you see uh, Chad Green uh, give up a home run, and, and then kind of things kind of devolve from there. Friday night follows the bullpen really for the first time all year truly implodes. I mean, it, it was just a game that just got away. And I'm sitting there two nights in a row – still with an empty piece of paper and i'm just like uh you know where do i go from here and so then of timing, course timing exactly and then saturday and sunday you have two remarkable performances by the bullpen a combined eight innings i think they allowed five hits no runs other than the unearned run against chapman because of the extra inning rule which right. the, the team won the game and i don't think you can ever blame a reliever for coming in with a runner on second and allowing that guy to score but my point being just and, and we can move on from here it's just it is very hard for irrational and impatient people to watch a baseball game and frankly to get emotional by a baseball game which we ask them to do to get invested in these players and this team which we need them to do and sure. also at the same time tell them like oh but chill out yeah, <laughs> you right. know it, it doesn't right. really work that way yeah right don't worry don't worry everything will be fine you know. yeah exa exactly um you know i think most of the time we're telling you go crazy when you're at the game until we're telling you hey stop going crazy yeah, right <laughs> so <laughs> so it goes but obviously anthony the reason we have you here is because while i'm looking ahead a little bit maybe to our june issue in our may issue we had a truly wonderful story which i know everyone involved with the yankees wishes we never had to run which is an obituary of the wonderful dr bobby brown and if you have not yet seen the may issue it is available online now and anthony i, I don't even know where you start on a life like that and, and, and i imagine that was a struggle for you but 
I, I will tell you before we get into the details of it, the tribute, or it, it was just a beautiful look at a complete and remarkable life. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that, John. Uh, it was a it was a pleasure to work on this story. And I feel like I learned so much about about this guy. I mean, 96 years old uh, and, and a life that few of us can even imagine, uh, much less uh, ever any of us duplicate it. Uh, you know, I mean, he served his country. He was played baseball at the highest level. He was a high level executive in baseball. And oh, yeah, he was a cardiologist as well, uh, something that he prepared for and studied for while he was playing with the Dynasty Yankees and, and won four World Series. I, I mean, it's, ama it's an amazing life. Uh, it, it really is. And one of the things that I thought about throughout this whole process, and there's no way to know the answer to this, but Dr. Bobby Brown had a wonderful baseball career. Uh, but he always wanted to be a doctor, and that ultimately, you know, he ultimately left baseball to pursue that, pursue his medical education, and then go into practice for years and years as a cardiologist. What would have happened in baseball had he stuck around? Uh, you know, he was a really good hitter. Uh, you know, some of the folks I spoke to, you know, and some of the art, old articles I read about him to prepare for this, you know, said that he wasn't a great infielder, you know, and, and, you know, maybe he wasn't a great infielder, but he was, uh, he was, you know, there were fewer, a lot fewer teams that back then. So he could obviously handle the position and, you know, he was probably held back a little bit in terms of numbers by the, the Casey Stengel platoons that he was subject to. And, and that's part of it too. It's also part of the reason why those Yankee teams were, were really good, you know, Something that he was quoted often in his life saying, you know, do you ever think about what might have been in your baseball career? And I, and I know a few times I saw him quoted saying, I think about it every day. And that to me was really interesting because, you know, he had this in incredible life where he did these incredible things. And yet, you know, baseball sort of always captivated him. Uh, you know, we're all romantic to a certain extent about baseball and, you know, the, the feelings that, that it, it, it gives us. And, you know, here was a guy who played it at the highest level who still thought about it, you know, what might have been kind of way. You know, we, we can all look back to the, the good old days when we had Old Timers Day, and hopefully that's coming back soon. And Bobby Brown was just such a fixture there. And, I, and I'm going to be honest here, and maybe I shouldn't admit this. I learned more about him after he passed away in ways that I, I truly both regretted and also was a little embarrassed by. I mean, it's my job to kind of know about these guys. It's my job to find these stories sometimes, not necessarily be told these stories. And the one thing that I kept going back to, and, and, and maybe this is a character flaw, so maybe I, I should be careful what I mention here. <laughs> um, you know, there are certain times that y y it kind of strikes you. And every time you heard Bobby Brown introduced, it was always Dr. Bobby Brown. And I, I will say the more you hear something like that, sometimes you wonder like why, like there's a lot of doctors. Why do we keep hearing about this guy as Dr. Bobby Brown? And I think I had convinced myself that, you know, this guy, maybe it was like some honorary degree right. or something like that <laughs> because, you know, the lady doth protest too much or something like that. I'm serious when I say that colored my appreciation and, and I never even decided to look to figure out more of his story, which that should have triggered for me the desire to look at that story. It was unique. It was different. Whatever. Why is it? Why is it so important that we call this guy Dr. Bobby Brown? And when I started reading about him again as an obituary, it was just humiliating almost. It was like, <laughs> how wrong could I have been in terms of like what I was missing when I would stand like maybe four feet away from him on the field? And it didn't occur to me to like... This is a guy I just want to sit down and talk with for six hours to hear these stories. Like, it's a shame I had to read them from other people when I could have heard some of them probably firsthand because I was there. It was a real bummer. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, he he uh, he did. He had millions of stories, too. I mean, I talked to some family members and they said that, you know, even toward the end of his life, they were hearing, you know, stories they had never heard before, uh, you know, from his baseball career. And he always had, uh, you know, he was apparently the kind of guy who always had a bit of a twinkle in his eye and loved to, you know, loved to tell the stories. Um, he was apparently an incredible banquet speaker. And he was so into that part of it where he would go and he would tell stories and talk about things that had happened in his career and even as his, in his career as a doctor. And he, but he kept these detailed notes for each speech. So if the Rotary Club had him come in to talk, you know, one year, he wrote, wrote down what he said to them. So if they invited him back two years later, he didn't go back to that Yogi and Mickey story that he had told them a couple of years ago because he knew they heard it already. I feel like that's the version of Joe DiMaggio trying to impress somebody who may have never seen him play before, that you had yeah, to give right. him something. <laughs> right, right. Well, Dr. Brown had all these flourishes like that, too. He was a, a, an incredible uh, note writer also, apparently. And, and throughout, I talked to Debbie Timon, who obviously organizes Old-Timers Day for the Yankees. And and she said, you know, she used to look forward to getting the handwritten on beautiful stationary notes from Dr. Brown after Old-Timers Day. You know, thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing that. She saved them all. And, you know, and that's a lost art nowadays. People don't, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a quick text now, you know, THX, and that's it. And I'm out. And this guy was sitting down with his own stationery, handwriting these beautiful notes of, of appreciation. And it, it, that's a little window into what kind of a, a guy he was, uh, you know, apart from the great stories, apart from studying the medical textbook while he was rooming with Yogi Berra as Yogi famously read a comic book and asked him, eh, you know, how would yours turn out? And all those other, you know, gems like that from from his baseball career. And, and the thing is, with a guy like Bobby Brown, I mean, you know, I, I don't remember what our initial assignment was to you, whether it was 2000 words or 2500 words. And I mean, that's going to be a struggle to begin with. But thankfully, there, there are times when you cut the obvious stories and the cliches or whatever. And there are times when you say the story is too good and we have to include it. And, and the thing that always, again, coming to this late, mostly through obituaries, unfortunately, I think that that conversation he had with his future wife about what to tell her parents is still the greatest story possibly that I've ever heard a baseball player deliver. And again, as you mentioned, I work for the team that gave the world Yogi Berra. So, th so there's plenty <laughs> of them to go around. But I mean, if you could just take us uh, for anyone who hasn't read the story yet or any of the stories, take us through that one because it's such a gem. Well, it is the most clever line possibly ever delivered anywhere. And it is certainly the smartest thing ever said by somebody who is courting their potential future mate. Uh, you know, he told his wife to be Sarah, uh, the homecoming queen at Tulane. You know, she asked, what should I tell my parents about you? And he said, tell your mother I'm in medical school studying to be a cardiologist and tell your father I play third base for the Yankees. And now that is thinking on your feet right there. And I don't know if he had that one uh, already primed, ready to go, but it is just such a wonderful line. And it, it, it just sort of, th that goes back to the twinkle in his eye that I was talking about before. You know, to be able to think on your feet like that is, is amazing. And, uh, it, you know, it's just, it's a timeless line that I think anybody who has ever courted someone, uh, you know, could relate to. I have to say, it made me remember a story, and I apologize if I've told this on the podcast already, but honestly, I'm having trouble keeping a straight face right now because I'm cracking up thinking about it. A couple of years ago, I uh, 
agreed to do career day at my son's school and they have this you know whole thing set up uh they're moving you from classroom to classroom to classroom beforehand before you start you know all the parents are kind of together having like coffee in the library and again every time i talk about things like this it's just like back in the day when we were allowed to be in rooms and have coffee <laughs> but but whatever and, I, and i'll always remember I, i'm it's my first time doing it and i'm standing talking to some guys and one guy asks you know any tips or anything like that and another person says it's the same thing every year you just you just show show the things you're going to do talk the kids won't listen anyhow it doesn't matter it's like hey kids sorry i'm an accountant sorry i'm not a yankee and i turn around and i look at him like how you doing john schwartz new york yankees and i literally at that moment i knew i was going to be okay because I, I i knew that i'd be able to and and, and every and from the first time I heard that Bobby Brown story just reminded me, imagine having that in your pocket, being able to like literally play both worlds like that and be able to say like, I can fit in very easily in this crowd, whether it's the banquet circuit or anything, I can do all the medical things I need to do. Oh, and also I know how to speak the language of baseball too, because I was in right. that world for a little bit. Right, right. And if you need me to save your life, I can probably pull that off as well. That That is just remarkable. You know, and it was, look, it was hard to fit all the stuff about him into the story, you know, because there was so much and, you know, there is stuff on the cutting room floor and that's too bad. I mean, I, you know, the, the guy had one of the most amazing World Series careers of, of anyone, you know, and he wasn't starting every game. And, and it, it's incredible. You know, he had clutch pinch hits, you know, big moments, all these triples in the, in the fall classic. And, you know, there, there was just so much raw material there, uh, you know, to, to build a story with, um, you know, I could have gone on and on uh, and it wouldn't, you know, I would never have felt long to me anyway. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know about reading it, but, but it was, there was so much there. And I mean, we think about how hard it is to play major league baseball, uh, you know, and then to do it when you are studying to be a doctor as well is just, it's crazy. It's crazy talk. One thing I love in this story is some of the ways that it harkens back to the, I say the old days, I really mean like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but obviously after, you know, that career in baseball, he when he was, you know, the, the league president for so long. I'm curious, you know, what were some of the fun stories that you picked up from his time uh, in an administrative role with baseball? Well, he did. He was the president uh, of, of the AL for 10 years. And, you know, that's a role that doesn't exist anymore in right. MLB. They centralized the office. So it's just, you know, that used to be the commit, you know, the commissioner and then the league presidents were here. And, and, you know, and there was a real rivalry between the leagues. And it wasn't like all for one. It was senior circuit, junior circuit. And that was felt in those offices. And I remember I talked to Bill White for the story who uh, came on as National League president uh, during Dr. Brown's uh, reign in, in the AL, uh, same job. And I, I thought this was very interesting because he kept saying it over and over again in our interview. He kept bringing up, he didn't have to be nice to me. He didn't have to try to help me. He's like, that's not the way it was back then. But as soon as I got the job, we spoke and he took me to lunch and he said, you know, this is what this job is like. These are the things you'll have to worry about. And they remained friends for a long time after that, exchanging Christmas cards, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you're talking on the phone occasionally. That's the kind of guy Dr. Brown was. You know, I mean, he actually he, he, he got out before the strike uh, happened. So he didn't ha he wasn't in the middle of that. Uh, he was when the, he was there when the storm clouds were going, but he wasn't there for the for the big battle. Um, but something from his reign that really uh, made an impact on me as I was reporting the story out, uh, I, I spoke to Phyllis Marriage, who worked for him in the AL office. And, you know, I mean, we're talking about a time when there weren't that many women in high ranking positions in MLB. And, you know, Dr. Brown promoted Phyllis. 
they became lifelong friends. Uh, at, you know, long after they were they worked together, uh, they were still pals. And she, you know, during the pandemic, she was calling him often to see how he was doing and keeping in touch with him. She told me some great stories about you know the first time she met him. You know, they it was at the winter meetings uh, before he was uh, he was about to be given the job. They brought him in and they said, OK, you you go to the suite and wait with him. We just have to, you know, dot some eyes and stuff and then you'll come in and we'll have the announcement and blah, blah, blah. Two hours later, you know, Phyllis and Dr. Brown are still waiting in the suite. At the time, Phyllis was a heavy smoker and she said, I'm dying for a cigarette. You know, uh, she smoked Marlboros and, uh, you know, but I'm there with the cardiologist, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to light up. And he, she said that, you know, for years afterwards, he would like sort of slyly, you know, make fun of her for that or tweak her a little bit about that because he knew that she was sort of fidgeting over it, you know, but they, they had a, they have had a wonderful friendship, um, you know, and, and some of the, some of the little details in the story came from her, you know, that he would play tennis every day. He was a lifelong athlete, Dr. Brown, and was apparently a tremendous tennis player. And that's how he spent his lunch hour. If they had celebratory lunches, you know, for work, he would always have soup and he would always eat it very quickly because it was a habit that he picked up in medical school, you know, because you don't have any time, you know, this isn't lounging time. This is like, you know, you got to go to uh, anatomy next. And so you better eat, the, you know, and so he would eat quickly and, you know, she never forgot that. And and, you know, she said that one of the things, I don't think this made it into the story, but she said something that he used to say all the time, she often catches herself saying, and that is, you know, and other people have said it too, but, you know, we can disagree without being disagreeable. And, you know, that was kind of a, a nice little mantra for life. And, and you know, some people, ought, some people ought to take it to heart, frankly. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's something we can all aspire to. And again, like, it, this goes back to what I was saying, because the, the key passages in, in the story about Phyllis, for example, another, I don't want to make Phyllis sound like she's like a vestige of an older time in some ways. But, you know, again, it goes back to the NL versus the AL. And it was Phyllis and it was Katie Feeney, uh, who unfortunately, you know, passed away a few years ago, but they became best friends and coworkers oh, yeah, when, yeah. when, when the jobs uh, consolidated into MLB. Yeah, they're both pioneers in, in my mind. Fully. Yeah. And, and and it just like it always calls to mind for me because most of the people in press boxes are kind of getting younger and younger who don't understand this stuff. And frankly, don't even understand like the silly jokes that we used to hear at those all-star game press conferences when, you know, Jackie Autry and Bill Giles would like, you know, throw little barbs at each other in this joking <laughs> way to pretend that there was still this rivalry between the American League and the National League as though they were actually separate entities when it doesn't exist. And again, like I just every time I read a story like this, I'm so happy to get to kind of step away from whatever's happening on, you know, May 13th, 2021 in Major League Baseball and, and recognize that, yes, every day counts and, you know, you keep a record and the box score lives forever. But there are also some people whose lives kind of rise above the daily minutia of the sport. And again, of course, you know, maybe I, I can sit here and regret that we did this story in 2021 as a, you know, memorial piece instead of doing it in 2019 as a, you know, let's chat with Dr. Bobby Brown, but, but it's wonderful to have in here. And, and I'm grateful to have it. I'm grateful to have read it myself. And, and I'm also, I think I can speak on behalf of our readers when I say I'm grateful for the job you did. We're going to take uh, just a one minute break here. Uh, stick with us. We're going to talk a little bit more about the 2021 Yankees and some things uh, to look forward to. So stick with us. Hi, this is Jordan Montgomery. You're listening to Yankees Magazine Podcast. 
This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Still here with Anthony McCarron. Anthony, you know, now that we've gotten past, uh, you know, talking about the wonderful life of Dr. Bobby Brown, look, the Yankees, you know, we're, we're, they're in Tampa Bay now. Obviously, things are kind of moving along here. What are some of the things that, you know, as, as we head into the end of May, the beginning of June, what have you, what's the stuff that you in particular are looking for right now to see from this team? Well, John, I've been a big Gary Sanchez proponent uh, for a long time. I thought when he hit the scene uh, that his he had a skill set that was uh, fairly unique. Um, you know, the incredible power that he displayed early in his career. So I've been a big guy on him, you know, being the regular catcher, uh, you know, the Yankees going forward with him and all that sort of thing. And, and, I, and I really, I thought I was, I was giving um, Kyle Higashioka sort of a short shrift. He has really, to me, he was, I felt like he was the backup quarterback that fans fell in love with after the starter threw a couple of interceptions and a bad loss. Uh, but I was wrong. I, this guy has forced his way into more playing time, and I think that that is spectacularly interesting. You know, the Yankees used him in the playoffs over Sanchez a couple of times uh, last year. And, you know, I always thought, like, what are they doing? You know, Gary Sanchez is a game wrecker. Well, you know, Kyle Higashioka is not, you know, he's not a null set uh, offensively and certainly not defensively. We knew that already. Uh, so I, I'm really interested to see how he fares going forward. I, I love that kind of, I love the, the story element to him sort of emerging as kind of an older backup to get more playing time and earning his way. And that's a, that, those are great baseball stories. First of all, I totally agree with you that he has proven his place here and proven who he is. I think I'm going to be the last person, except for maybe you, it seems, um, stand, standing on the uh, Gary Sanchez Hill. I, I just still believe. But but look, I, I just think that Higashioka has been a total joy to watch, obviously. Absolutely. And the thing is, it's become clear, you know, whatever I think about a pitcher having his own catch or whatever, obviously the Garrett Cole-Higashioka thing, like that's done at this point. Like you're not going to break them up. And once you're doing that, and you only have two catchers on a roster. You're you're not going to play a guy in a day game after a night game. So that, you know, unless it's times up exactly right with Garrett start one way or the other, right. you know, that's going to be another game that you're probably switching on. So it seems to be they were already working on for most weeks probably a three and two situation for for the rotation. So once you get to that point, it kind of is just who's getting three and who's getting two. And I think that right now, I think like you said, it, it's hard to argue that Higashioka isn't the guy who has earned the right for three. I think that's super fun to watch. I'm so happy to have fans in the stands because, you know, those of us who had press passes last year and certainly, you know, people watching on TV, whatever, it was cool to get to watch Garrett Cole pitch. Getting to watch Garrett Cole pitch with fans is so much more enjoyable than anything I could have realized. Much different experience. Yeah, Yeah. just the energy uh, of fans literally from the first inning on because i'm not suggesting that he's going to have a perfect season i'm not suggesting he's not gonna have hiccups but i will say that i can't remember a time and and maybe it's just that i'm not thinking hard enough where every single time a game started with a guy on the mound you had a sense that this this is gonna be a special day this could be a special day right here like this could be a 20 strikeout game this could be a no hitter or anything like that And, and garrett cole is at that level for me right now with the yankees where 
you know, as I see him warming up before every game, I'm just sitting there wondering, like, this is a don't turn the channel game. This is a, you know, don't make any other plans during this game. And look, that's what more could you possibly want if you're buying a ticket for a game than the chance to see something you've never seen before? Absolutely. And I mean, look, I started covering the Yankees back when Roger Clemens was on the team and you never, you didn't feel that that way about Roger Clemens. And we're talking about a guy who obviously had an enormous career and pitched some of those incredible shutdown games, you know, where anything could happen, uh, anything amazing could happen. And Look, I agree with you about Cole. I mean, you could be seeing history every single time. Uh, you know, I mean, set the over under on strikeouts for 13 for him every night, I think. And, and you know, and I'll take the over most nights and, you know, I'll take my chances. But but I, I do get that. I get that same exact feeling that you do, that something special is around the bend here. Every time the guy pitches, when he gives up something loud, it's like, whoa. You, you know, you are, you're, you're like dumbstruck by it. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's great to have that kind of talent uh, on the mound every five days, you know, forget about the Yankees and their success. Yeah, that's good for them too. But us uh, for baseball fans, you know, people who love the game and love to watch, you know, expert baseball playing, that's what you get every time out from a guy. And then, you know, to boot, you get the bonus of him speaking thoughtfully uh, after the game. Uh, less so when he doesn't pitch great, but I, that's understandable too. That's, you know, that's the professional athlete. I was actually having a conversation uh, over text message with Meredith Morakovitz from the Yes Network yesterday because she has the advantage or disadvantage, if you will, of always having to ask the first few questions. And the funny thing about Garrett Cole is, to your point, but kind of reverse, I actually think it's completely unpredictable when he's going to want to be happy and chatty and when he's not. There are times when you sit there and you watch him throw eight amazing innings and he comes into that Zoom room afterward and he's just like, didn't have it today. I really, uh, you know, I, I got away with a lot of stuff there. And there, there are other times when, you know, he, he looks okay. The game he threw against the Astros, he pitched right. well. Um right. But, you know, it wasn't dominant. He was clearly pitching to contact that day as opposed to, you know, trying to strike everyone out. I, I think that was the scouting report. And I think that we all kind of went into that Zoom room afterward expecting him to be like a little bit bummed. The team had lost. A, a, you know, you expect Garrett Cole to continue a winning streak, not to be the pitcher starting when a winning streak ends. And said so he got in there. He's like, no, I thought it was really good today. And it was just like, I just love the like, <laughs> you know, you could see a batter's feel against the guy totally confused because yeah, like, you right. have no idea as a writer what you're getting from him on any day. But when he does want to give it to you, it's so illuminating and the thing is he delivers I, i'll go back to the game he pitched when he went up against uh, shane bieber i was looking forward to the game for days leading up to it but you also you just have that sense that those never work and there's always like uh, one of the guys doesn't c come that day or whatever and instead this game was just this beautiful yeah. beautiful old-timey baseball game of just wonderful <laughs> starting pitching going late and I, it's just, it was just so much fun to watch and when you see that kind of game by the way and i always think of this when you get the sort of automatic uh, quote from pitchers about how, well, you know, I'm not pitching against the other pitcher. It's got nothing to do who started. He's, you know, he's not batting against me. I'm not batting against him. I'm not pitching to him. It has nothing to do with it. Nonsense. It has a lot to do with it. 
And David Cohn says it on the broadcast all the time because he knew he, 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 you know, when you were going up against one of the big guys, you wanted to bring it. And there's no way that they're all not feeling that, that sort that sensation when they're going up against another ace. But like you said, sometimes it works out beautifully. And then sometimes you're like, what happened here? You know, it's, it's 14 to nine. And, you know, those guys have been gone for innings. But when, when it does come to fruition, I, I love it. And I love the fact that, you know, while their mouths are moving and saying, we don't, uh, you know, we do not try to pitch against the other pitcher, you know, you know that that's not what's happening inside the chest. Corey Kluber, Max Scherzer, they were both kind of saying that then you watch that game, unbelievable game. And of course, because baseball is how it is, the game ends up just turning into, you know, an extra inning walk-off situation where at the end of the day, no one's remembering the really good game or not no one's remembering, but it's not the story of the game, what what those starting pitchers did because baseball messes with writers like that. Um, (laughs) so, So there you go. (laughs) <laughs> but but look, I mean, you know, a couple of days ago, you had a two home runs from DJ LeMahieu. You have Glaber Torres, who had a big home run over the weekend. Obviously, you had those walk off wins. I think that it will always be amazing about this offense that it doesn't matter what's going on. You know, great. You get past uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Somehow you get him out. OK, here's Aaron Judge. Yes. And, and now coming back, it's like, oh, you, you managed your way through these two, six, seven, six, six, you know, hulking sluggers. Have fun with Luke Voigt. And it just right. it doesn't stop. And I, again, when, when I went to go back to what I was saying earlier, when I say, OK, it's early, you know, it's a long season. Stay calm. It's, it's because of that, because I don't think a pitching staff can get through that lineup more than two days in a row. And so you always right. you don't see this team having losing streaks. And again, I know it happened. But that is what I when I when I look at this team and the way it's built right now, I think this team is basically losing streak proof. I think there's too much there for them all to go cold at the same time. And I think we saw it was pretty close to them all being cold at the same time. Yeah. And they still immerse from it. Okay. So I I, I think that that's kind of if if you look at that, maybe and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll be proven stupid. If you look at that first month as the baseline for this team and they've already gotten through that. You know, there's there's a lot of reason to enjoy the summer, I think, for Yankees fans. Yeah, I, I, I would I would certainly agree with that. Not, you know, not only were they cold early on, uh, you know, bat hitting wise, they were cold physically, too. And I know we always say like, oh, we'll wait till the weather warms up. And, you know, I think the ball will start to fly a little bit more, too, although who knows what the ball the ball effects will be this season. Um, you know, the, obviously, the, the numbers aren't great so far offensively for any team. And we'll see how the, the reverberations of that through the big league season as it goes on. Uh, you know, but I, but I do think that you're right about that lineup. You know, once they all get to mash, I mean, how do you survive a weekend at Yankee Stadium? It's in three. You know, how do you not get pounded and have to make one of those moves we were talking about, or a, a few of those moves we were talking about earlier, where you're shifting this pitcher here and this one here, and you know, you got to call up a, f- a couple of fresh arms to get through Saturday's game, and you know, it, it should be interesting. Once they get cooking really well, you know, I mean, obviously Stanton has been great. And I look, I mean, a, a few words about Giancarlo Stanton. The only thing ever holding this guy back has been health. I, I don't think that there's a skill level problem. Yeah, does he get ice cold sometimes where he's swinging at sliders outside the strike zone that you sitting on your couch say to yourself, well, I'd never swing at that pitch. How, why is he swinging at it? It's ridiculous. He's, you know, he's getting all that money and he's swinging at that pitch. Well, I mean, it's obviously not that easy, but when this guy gets rolling and then when he's, he doesn't even have to be particularly red hot. He is, I mean, he's like this big block in the lineup that you have to try to see your way around. And 
I mean, it's just like I, I hope that he's healthy all season because I really want to see what he can do in a full season as a Yankee. I know he, his first year was a full year, and I thought he had a pretty good year that year. You know, it wasn't 59 home runs. I know it was 38 home runs, but he was in a, in a year full of injuries. He was the one rock out there who was constantly going out there and playing and and, and delivering. And I thought it was pretty good. And we haven't been able to see the full John Carlo uh, since then. You know, we've gotten some glimpses of some awesomeness, but I hope this year turns into. 150 plus games for him because the numbers, uh, I mean, he's already destroying all the stat cast numbers. I mean, they should just write all that stuff on a whiteboard, all the records, because every night it's like, you got to go back and, and erase it and put up a new exit velocity. Uh, I mean, new home run distance. It's, it's, it's great to watch. And I hope we get a full year of it. It's just been very menchy of him to use the good Yiddish word that he does. He, he did acknowledge that he feels sorry for the baseballs. I think it was very respectful of him to, uh, <laughs> to come out and say that because kind hearted. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, and I, I totally agree. Uh, we've, we've spoken, but my, my feelings about Giancarlo Stanton have been very clear to listeners of this podcast. And I have had nothing but glee at watching. I honestly, as much as I love the 118 mile per hour, 480 foot three run homers, those are great. There's just something so special about like the 119 mile per hour single oh, that yeah. like, it, it's just like every single thing the guy does is different from what any other player can do. And again, not, uh, God, I, I don't know how much wood I can possibly knock on when I say this, but you know, should the guy stay healthy? The fact is if he, if he touches his bat to the ball, it goes in a way that no one else can do. Right. So, you know, that should be, I'm not saying he's not going to strike out. I'm not saying he's not going to have bad luck weeks or bad strikeout weeks or whatever. But if he is making contact, that seems, you know, pretty unstoppable in a right. sense, because who's getting in front of that ball? Right. <laughs> so who knows? <laughs> but Anthony, this has been a lot of fun. And I, I oh, could yeah. talk about uh, this season forever. Uh, the big thing, I just want to thank you again so much. The story, it's available on yankees.com slash magazine. It's called A Life Lived to the Fullest. And I think that as we discussed, uh, that certainly is the story of Dr. Bobby Brown's life. So, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, John. That was a blast. I, like you, I could go on all day about uh, baseball and, the, and the, the Yankee season. It's great stuff. You can certainly uh, see Anthony on SNY. You can find his stuff uh, in Yankees Magazine and elsewhere and at Baseball Digest, too. Anthony, look forward to having you on again soon, and be well, my friend. Thanks, John. You, too. Appreciate you having me. And to everyone else, thanks for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. We are so excited to be making our way through the season, getting more and more fans into the stands, and we hope getting uh, Yankees Magazine into more and more hands. If you are not already a subscriber... What are you waiting for? Go to yankees.com slash publications or call 800-GO-YANKS to subscribe. You can also find our long-form content online at yankees.com slash magazine. And of course, follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine, where you can always stay up to date with everything we have coming on, special deals we're offering, and other great stories. Thanks so much. See you next time, and go Yanks. Hi, this is Luke Voigt. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today.